Welcome to The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast, where we feature the stories of activists, lawyers, and storytellers on the front lines fighting for justice and liberation. If you want to know more about the Center for Constitutional Rights and our work, visit our website at ccrjustice.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, Frontlines of Justice, and we'll keep you up to date on important developments and exciting events near you or online. You can also make a donation to help us keep doing the vital work of supporting our partners, movements, and communities. As always, don't forget to subscribe to The Activist Files and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And now, here's The Activist Files podcast. Welcome to The Activist Files. I'm Angelo Guisano, a staff attorney here at the Center for Constitutional Rights. I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Jamila Johnson, PJI. Welcome, Jamila. Thanks for having me. We're here because, thanks to incredible partnership with PJI, we filed two petitions for post-conviction relief on behalf of our clients, Matthew Allen and Rufus Henry. We'll get into all that in just a second. First, Jamila, could you tell us a little bit about PJI? What kind of causes y'all support? What are you up to these days? Sure. Promise of Justice Initiative emerged out of work that a number of lawyers were doing in the death penalty space in Louisiana. Our clients were on death row in Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary, the largest maximum security prison in the country. And the conditions they were facing were horrific. Understanding that Louisiana had an addiction with mass incarceration and that the conditions of confinement in many of its prisons were abhorrent. The Promise of Justice Initiative came together to try to change those things through both organizing, client support, and legal action. Your website is replete with all the amazing types of work that you do. Sentencing laws, challenging what we call death by incarceration or life without parole, detention conditions. But we most recently collaborated with you to challenge the non-unanimous juries, also known as the Jim Crow juries. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with that? Sure. Promise of Justice Initiative has been working on Jim Crow juries work for since close to 2004, many of the attorneys and staff. And it was a realization that Louisiana and Oregon did two things that the 48 other states did not do. And we wanted to understand why. And through our learning why Louisiana convicted people without a unanimous jury, with 10 to 2 or 11 to 1 juries, we found that it came from a history of, of racism and explicit attempts to ensure white supremacy within the state of Louisiana. And the state of Oregon. As, you know, as I understand, Oregon was founded explicitly as a new white state. I don't think you could even be black in Oregon until 1927. Don't quote me on that. I make uh, fantastic bar admission choices because I was also admitted to practice in in the state of Oregon. And I grew up in in Washington state where my dad and my grandparents would drive down to Texas. And the scariest part of their drive used to be going through Oregon. I certainly do not doubt it. For those of you listening in who pay attention to the Supreme Court, Promise Justice Initiative's client, Mr. Ramos, had his case reached that court a couple of years ago. Could you talk to us a little bit about his case? 
Sure. Mr. Ramos was like 62% of the people who are still in Louisiana's prisons with non-unanimous jury verdicts or Jim Crow jury verdicts. He was serving a life without the possibility of parole sentence, even though at least one, and in his case, two jurors had serious doubts about his guilt. Mr. Ramos went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and on April 20th of 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court said what our clients have always known to be true in their bones, that Jim Crow juries were racist and that they violated the United States Constitution. Just so everyone, all the listeners out there know, we're recording this on the one-year anniversary of the Ramos decision. I'd like to talk a little bit about that racist background. As I understand it, Louisiana didn't always adhere to non-unanimous juries. In fact, in 1804, I think, they decided that unanimous juries were required. Why the change? Yeah. Louisiana looked much like the rest of the country, but um, for context, at the time of the Civil War, more than half of the state of Louisiana was enslaved. And so in the decades that followed, you saw a tremendous struggle within the state of Louisiana for white Louisianans to really maintain power through a significant amount of violence while Black Louisianans were seeking to register to vote through a horrific history of lynching. We get to 1898 when a constitutional convention is called with the sole purpose of ensuring the supremacy of the white race in the state of Louisiana to the greatest extent permissible under law. I couldn't believe it when I read it, but I believe Justice Kavanaugh uh, quoted, had that exact quote in his Ramos decision. Is that right? He did. I mean, it's seldom that the evidence is so overwhelming of the motivation of legislation, but from everything from the official liner notes of the Constitutional Convention to all of the newspaper coverage, it was clear that the sole purpose of this convention was to create different rights and to silence the voices of Black jurors and Black voters and to enshrine within Louisiana's constitution white supremacy. Not to mention giving those anti-Reconstructionists of former slave owners some free laborers, we're all aware. Okay, so everyone agrees that convicting someone non-unanimously not only violates the Sixth Amendment and is wrong, but why are our clients still sitting in Angola? Yeah. I think most people would assume that when the U.S. Supreme Court says that your conviction was unconstitutional and that it came from a racist Jim Crow law, that you would get some remedy. However, historically, that has not been the way that things have turned out from previous cases. In the case of non-unanimous jury verdicts, when the Ramos case was heard, we knew immediately that we were going to have to do more work in order to have it apply to those people who had final convictions. And that is the majority of people with non-unanimous jury verdicts in Louisiana's prison system. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has a jurisprudence about when they're going to force a state to retry cases. And we are up against that right now while awaiting a ruling in Edwards v. Vinoy. How many of these cases does Promise of Justice Initiative have? We have filed just under 1,050 post-conviction relief applications over the period of one year. Wow. First, wow. I hope that sinks in for everyone. 
Is it fair to say that a large portion of those petitions are on behalf of black men? Yes, roughly 80% of the people who are incarcerated in Louisiana's prison system who have non-unanimous jury verdicts are black. And the vast majority of our clients reflect that as well. The systematicity with which states subjugate black people, black men in particular, knows no ends, but we're really committed to bringing about their liberation. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you expect in the coming months? Sure, it's a difficult time. For a little bit of context, as a country, we are generally pretty good at identifying Jim Crow laws today and changing those laws. Not great, it's 2021 and we have just struck down non-unanimous jury verdicts, which are clearly Jim Crow laws, but we're pretty good at that. We're also pretty good at identifying and saying aloud that something was a Jim Crow law. Where we struggle as a country is in figuring out how to remedy those, how to help heal, how to identify the people who are carrying the greatest weight from those Jim Crow laws and figure out how to address their harm so it doesn't continue on to the next generation. In the coming months, we anticipate a pretty brutal fight to keep these cases in court. We are hoping for a good decision in the US Supreme Court case Edwards v. Vinoy. We're passing or hoping to pass legislation in Louisiana so that the state of Louisiana doesn't have to rely on the federal government to fix its own messes. I mean, it should be long gone the days where you had to rely on the federal government to tell Louisiana that it's doing something that has such racist implications. And we're going to hope that we get to see more of our clients come home, like the 20 some that have already been, been released as a result of our advocacy. You know, I really just wanted to underscore that point. You know, for the listeners out there, there's a legal mechanism by which certain decisions of law can or cannot be applied retroactively. And there's all sorts of standards and that's law stuff. And we don't have to get into that right now. But what I do want to talk about is, isn't it true that Louisiana simply could just grant retroactivity to all of the former convictions? And aren't you doing something about that legislatively? Absolutely. The state of Louisiana can choose to give a remedy, and it can change state law to allow that. We are asking the, the lawmakers of Louisiana to clearly do so and to make a stand against this practice and start helping Louisianans heal. We are also asking that they give additional time for people who have not been able during COVID to obtain their records, to talk to attorneys in person, to do those things that were necessary in order to file within one year of that decision. State of Louisiana Supreme Court could also do this as well. We talk about the federal standard by which retroactivity is determined, but the state of Louisiana also has the ability to look at local interests and the local degradation of the credibility of its criminal system that was caused by keeping in place a system that was so systemically racist. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, as I understand, a lot of the parishes in Louisiana sort of operate as their own independent polities. Each of the district attorneys brings in their own particular views on the Jim Crow jury laws. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to work with or against certain district attorney's office as you try and rid Louisiana from this vestige of the Jim Crow system? So often in our work, we are fundamentally pitted against district attorneys. And Jim Crow juries are an interesting issue because it was not the fault of district attorneys that we had for more than 120 years this system. This was the fault of a group of white lawmakers in 1898. But today, what you do as we're trying to fix this system, that's really where the role of the district attorney comes into play. In Orleans, we have a reformed district attorney who's been recently elected, and he campaigned on the issue of non-unanimous jury issues or verdicts and really wanted to make a systematic process by which to look at these cases and to provide remedy for them. Other district attorneys across the state have really been waiting for the federal government to give them an idea on what to do. The District Attorneys Association didn't oppose the constitutional amendment in Louisiana that sought to end this practice, but when it comes to actually retrying cases, there is a hesitancy that we're hoping to overcome. You have seen some recent victories, though, haven't you? We have. In the month of March, we were able to welcome home 19 of our clients. One of those clients, Jermaine Hudson, was exonerated through the process of our representation when the accuser came to the district attorney's office and explained for the past 22 years he had been holding this lie. He had told his parents that he had been robbed on his way home from work of his paycheck. In reality, he just didn't want to tell his parents that he'd used that paycheck on drugs. So Mr. Hudson got to walk home a free man, exonerated, and it just underscores the lack of reliability of these non-unanimous jury verdicts. I don't mean to make light of the gravity of the situation, but anytime anybody comes home from jail, I like to celebrate a little bit. So if you'll excuse me. Yeah, it's taking those moments of being excited about our clients that really get us through. I mean, it's been 1,050 post-conviction relief applications over the 365 days through COVID to be able to start to see men and women come home is really phenomenal. And that's right. You know, we could not have prepared these petitions without Promise of Justice Initiatives review and support. But, you know, ultimately, like, we share the same vision, right, of decarcerating society, but most importantly, of bringing about people's freedoms, returning them to liberty. And I can't, I really cannot thank y'all enough for the hard work that y'all have done that y'all continue to do, really. Well, thank you so much for joining us in this journey. I mean, I think it is pretty unheard of to plan a project around a future Supreme Court case that you can't guarantee is gonna come down. More insane to try to file 1,050 post-conviction relief applications in a year. And without the volunteers and the partnerships, we wouldn't have been able to do that. So thank you for coming along on this, this crazy journey and, and sharing this vision for the future. It was our pleasure. You know, we'll argue it in court if we have to, but hopefully our clients get out sooner than that. Absolutely. Thanks so uh, much. 
You're welcome. This was uh, fantastic. We're again joined by Jamila Johnson, Promise of Justice Initiative out of Louisiana. Please go more on their website, on our website to read the petitions, hear our and their advocacy, and join us in this fight to rid ourselves of this vestige of the Jim Crow jury system. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast. Just a reminder to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you want to find out more about our work, visit our website at ccrjustice.org. That's all until next time on The Activist Files.